Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Lift Effect podcast. I am your host, Matt McNeil, founder, clinical director, and director of human performance at Lift Effect, where we assist professional pilots with maintaining better mental health and optimizing their mental skills. The goal of this podcast is simple, to help pilots and other high liability professionals and disciplines come out of the shadows to discover how we can live better lives personally and professionally. Join us each episode as we discuss various topics ranging from mental health, mental skills and performance, to business, entrepreneurship, and a few other surprises along the way. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, for episode two of the Lift Effect podcast. We have now doubled the number of podcasts that we have. So it's a 100% increase. We're already on a roll. I'm here with the host, Matt McNeil. And this week, we're going to delve into a little bit more about what Lift Effect does with people once they uh, get ready to sit there and say, I'm ready to to, uh, take the next step. And so we were going to delve a little bit into it and some of the ramifications or the concerns that an individual may have when they're ready to go and when they're ready to start talking about it, because there are there are concerns and um, Matt's going to be able to alleviate most, if not all of them. So we'll delve into probably one of the biggest ones out there, and that is for those that are of a professional aviation background is the FAA. It's like the big elephant in the room that goes, if I have a problem, what is it going to do to my career? And how does it affect me with the FAA? What are they going to do to me? One of the questions, and again, for this is primarily, we're we're talking about pilots on this. So if you're not a pilot, uh, this might not, obviously doesn't apply to you, but you might find it interesting. The first question pilots usually have is, what does the FAA know about me? And the, the, the reality is the FAA knows what you tell them. Unless you are in the military uh, and they have access to your VA records because that's government records, the FAA knows what you put down on your 8500 form, your medical form that you fill out every six months or every year, depending on your age and all that, all that stuff, which class certificate you have. The FAA does not have access to your medical records. They don't have access to your insurance records. They don't have access to your doctor. They don't have because there's laws that are HIPAA laws, we call them HIPAA laws. There are HIPAA laws that protect your private health information from everybody. Now, that is does not mean, uh, you know, well, geez, just don't go tell the FAA. Right? That's that's not the point of this. If you read the eighty five hundred form, and I don't have it in front of me, um, but there is a box in there that asks about mental health related issues, psychiatric related issues, and it says, "Have you ever been diagnosed with a psychiatric disorder, or do you have a substance use disorder that you've been diagnosed with?" If the answer is Yes, the expectation is that you put that down in the box. The form that you fill out asks, 
Have you been diagnosed? Have you seen any psychologist? Do you have have a substance abuse uh, disorder? So the reality is, is lift effect. We don't have any reporting requirements to anybody. We don't say, okay, you know what, uh, Carl, you came to me and now I've got to report to the FAA because you came to, but no, we don't have those reporting. And in fact, we can't do that because of HIPAA laws. Uh, we may have a duty to warn um, if, you know, you are in, in, in danger, but we don't have a duty to warn the FAA. We have the duty to warn usually a hospital um, to keep you safe. So interesting side note here. I recently took place in a panel discussion with Dr. Susan Northrup. She's the federal air surgeon. And this took place on October 18th of this year at the NBAA base convention, where she and I um, discuss a little bit of the you know, reporting requirements, um, the FAA's expect- expectations on reporting requirements, and some of the challenges that pilots face with the process of uh you know, of, of reporting and, 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 and what the ramifications of that are and what the process of that is. So take a listen. For Dr. Northrup, is there um, a, a difference from an FAA standpoint in terms of when I've got to go fill out that medical certificate application? So um, yeah, there's some of those boxes that we've got to check what happens for coaching and things like that versus uh, psychotherapy or that, or, or what are the depending factors then uh, when it comes to filling out that form? So the block in question is 18M. And 19, where you have to report medical visits. Um, so essentially, marital counseling, family counseling, uh, coaching, you don't have to report. The minute you go down the psychotherapy route, the minute there's a diagnosis, now you need to tell us. Have a conversation with a pilot advocate or your AME. There's lots of groups out there that have... You know, Matthew could probably answer many of these questions too. Reach out to the people that are working with you to see what best to do to report. Now, the other thing I've occasionally seen people get into trouble with, if they go for counseling and somebody's billing your insurance, double check that they didn't give you a diagnosis because I've seen that show up in falsification cases. I, that's definitely been an issue that's... Oh, go ahead, Matt, please. We don't take insurance um, because we're all over the place, right? And pilots are all over the place. Diagnosis is required for insurance reimbursement. Um, and you need to be very careful with that. Now, what we tell Lift Effect is we don't have reporting requirements to the FAA, to anybody. We encourage our pilots to report. Um, and... You know, we tell them there's a couple options that are going to happen. Nothing. Uh, the 60-day letter saying we want further documentation of what's going on or, you know, what you are you don't have a medical, you've got 60 days to get a psychiatric evaluation. And Dr. Northam, you can, you know, confirm if this is what we find. But we encourage our pilots to report. And, you know, the SSRI protocol, we get 100% of our pilots back that go through the SSRI protocol. The problem is not getting the approval. The problem is the timeline. And coordinating, you know, not all um, uh, neuropsychologists are the same. Not all HIMSS AMEs are the same. Not all uh, HIMSS psychiatrists are the same. And it's, it's, you know, I can say it's not six months. We've never had a pilot go back in less than 18 months um, going through the SSRL. You know, nine months from when they send in the, the actually, we just had an eight-month one, which was a little quicker. So we're kind of happy about that. But 
it's the the problem is not getting people back to work. The problem is the time. It's coordinating the care. There's a lot of moving parts, um, and it's not all created equal. And the inconsistencies with the subcontracted AMEs and stuff, you know, what they charge and what they want, and this and that. That I think is there's a lot of room to be improved. But I I encourage pilots. You don't need to be afraid. Um, it's a process. It's going to take time. Uh, and it needs to be done a certain way. I mean, the reason things don't get approved is because they didn't follow directions um, on what was needed most often. It's not because, oh, you have depression, you're not going to fly anymore. So I just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, and we're worried about that timeline as well. Um, in fact, one of the initial ones are taking longer. There's, I, I can't lie about that. But the renewals are a lot faster now than they were. And as I said, I've gone from two psychiatrists uh, my third one came on board early summer. The fourth one, I just signed his uh, firm offer letters. So I'll have a fourth one here before the end of the month, and that'll help speed everything up. But but Matthew's exactly right. I, I hate it when I see packages that come across and they are missing half of the documents we require because now I have to send a letter, or not me, one of my staff members, and that takes a minute to get to the individual. And then they got to collect the stuff, and now that comes back to us. And then we have to look at it again. So checklists are in the AME guide. Use them. Hopefully that provides a little bit more insight into what the expectations are. Um, and again, you know, we, we really encourage our pilots to report. Um, but, you know, that's, uh, that is ultimately the pilot's decision uh, whether they want to do that. So anyways, back to my discussion with Carl. So that's the first... Uh, Question is, is what do I need to report? Well, if you read the form, you can see what the expectations are in terms of reporting. Does that sort of answer your question? Is what's yeah, the first There's issue? always that concern is, okay, yeah, because FAA is the big, bad boogeyman that's always right. hanging out there that basically take my livelihood away. And right. we just, and there's always that concern. Well, if I talk to you, what have I just done to myself? Um, right. So that begs the next question that, okay, I want to seek help of some sort mm -hmm. have i just lost my medical certificate answer is no that that's not the case one is is the only way to lose the and, and pilots will sometimes say to me matt are you going to take my medical no i don't have the power to take your medical the only person or entity that has the power to take your medical certificate is the federal aviation administration which is the issuer they're the only ones that have the power to take your medical away. Now, again, there are two situations where there's a duty to warn on behalf of the healthcare provider or the mental health provider. We, that's our own laws, state laws, where we have a duty to warn. If you indicate that you're going to hurt yourself, kill yourself, can't let you do that. I can't help you kill yourself. Or if you're going to hurt somebody else, we actually are mandatory reporters. If you're hurting a child, or an incapacitated adult. We have a mandatory duty to warn. Uh, and is it, again, it's, it's not the FAA, it's it's the local authorities, right? That, that's gonna be the, the warn, not the FAA. That's, that, that's not the first person we're gonna call. If you seek, reach out and seek help, that does not automatically mean, oh my God, I've just lost my medical certificate. Absolutely not. And getting a diagnosis. And I'll tell you at Lift Effect, uh, we don't, diagnose every person that comes to us. Sometimes it's a coaching related issue. Sometimes it's 
you know, a diagnosis isn't needed to be able to help you. So, well, when do you diagnose, right? Well, we diagnose if it informs the treatment method that's going to be required to help you. And a diagnosis is sort of required for that. Is there any particular type of medical prescription that would say, okay, we've taken it to the next level, but now it's going to require you to do something a little bit longer, more substantial than just, okay, it's a temporary two weeks and I'm back up and running. Is there any type of medicine or is it the diagnosis that drives that in addition to the medicine? It's a good question. Yeah, diagnosis can certainly drive it. Now, if you have a, a, a diagnosis of a medically disqualifying condition, which would be really anything above, and again, the FAA makes their decisions case by case, but anything above, you know, a, a, typically what I've seen in, in our practice, what we've seen in our practices, anything above an adjustment disorder. So if you have depression or you have anxiety, which are classified as a mood disorder, those are medically disqualifying conditions. You can be recertified once that condition is in remission and the FAA has made that decision on your case to say, okay, you know what, he's done the, gotten the right treatment and he's been assessed properly. And it, it appears that that condition is in remission. You can then reapply to have your medical reinstated. But I just wanted to sh- say, I, I just pulled out my medical certificate and on every medical certificate, if you pull it out on the back of it, there's a bunch of conditions of issue. Okay. You got to have in your possession at all times. Okay. That's fine. Understand that the issuance of a medical certificate by an AME may be reversed by the FAA within 60 days. We'll talk about those letters that people can get. Comply with the the validity standards specified for first, second, and third class certificates. Comply with any statement of functional, operational, and or time limitation issued as a condition of certification. And then there's this last piece right here. This is very interesting. What it says is comply with the standards relating to prohibitions on operation during medical deficiencies. 14 CFR Part 6153, 6319, and 6549. You are to comply with the standards relating to the prohibitions on operation during medical deficiency. Okay, what does this do? What does that mean? Well, it means a couple things. There's a disempowering, the way I view it is you're you're disempowered and you're empowered. (laughs) Part of it means you're on the hook. If you are operating in a a period that is outside of, of standards, which your job is to go figure out what those are, you're operating outside of the limitations of your medical certificate. But secondly, this is where it gets actually good. This is the I'm safe checklist that we all learn, right? You have the ability as the certificate holder, the medical certificate holder, just say, I'm not fit. I don't feel well. I'm not rested. And this is where F part 117 fatigue rules kind of comes in. If you feel that you are not fit, you're not. And that reg empowers you to say, I'm outside of proficiency. I'm, in, I'm operating in a deficient state, which nullifies my ability to operate under this certificate. There are medications that are not allowed. Some medications you can take, but then there's a wait period of 24 hours or 72 hours. The onus is on the pilot to figure out what those medications are. You can be held accountable and liable by the FAA if you operate, taking a medication and it says, well, I didn't know I was supposed to take it. Well, you, you, you need to know that. 
That's what an AME is supposed to be for. And the FAA will tell you, consult your AME, say, is this a medic is this a, a medication that's allowed? Also, the Aviation Medicine Advisory Service website has a list of medications uh, on there, a comprehensive list. They, they, I think they do their best to keep it up to date with what is allowed uh, and what is not and what are the conditions if they do allow it. So, okay, I come to you. You've, we've kind of taken care of what I like to say is the elephant in the room. What is the relationship that you have with the individual's primary doc? How is that decision or diagnosis made? Is it exclusively you? Is it exclusively your doctor? Well, how does that all work? Our clinical license does give us the authority to diagnose. We at Lift Effect do not like to operate in a the vacuum of just Lift Effect. We like to use kind of a crew concept, a crew resource manager. We like to involve if. And again, if there's more that's going on than just sort of regular life stuff, stress management, things that need to be, that, that you, we can just manage. If there's actual illness, we always say we need to involve your GP, not your AME. That's why you don't want your AME to be your GP. And I, there's lots, lots of pilots that come to us and say, well, my my GP is my AME. That is not a good idea. Ever. Why? Well, I mean, because I, they are the FAA. And there's, they have no way to separate that. They cannot separate that. They are a designated aviation medical examiner. They represent the FAA, which is why AMEs will say, oh, God, why did you tell me that? Now I have to report it. It's a very dysfunctional system, in my opinion having this designated AME, which is just a doc that goes and does a, a course and now is, is represents the FAA, but they now represent the FAA. They can't separate it. So to be very clear, if I go to you for just a personal thing that's not because of my flight physical or my class one, two or three medical, it's the old saying, anything that you say can and will be used. Absolutely. Like the Miranda. There's, yes. there's not a thing where they can go, okay, you're just talking to me about this. So I don't have to look at, I don't have my AME hat on. He is always, or she is always wearing their, their they are AME some, That hat. is the expectation. That is the expectation. Now do some of them, some of them mm -hmm. may kind of try to ride that line, but, but the expectation is you can't separate the two. Can't, can't do it. Sort of like how I'm a mandatory reporter. If you say, yeah, I'm going to go shoot up a McDonald's, right? And I'm serious about it. I have a duty to warn. It makes Basically, I've sense. taken it out of your hands at that point. I haven't yeah. given you any options anymore. That's right. That's right. And so you need to have a GP that is not your handy, right? Just period, the end. And I would say, too, when somebody's really not feeling well, we always say, well, let's make sure that you're evaluated medically to make sure that there isn't something else going on, like a thyroid issue or a hormone imbalance, which can be treated very easily. And those medications are approved by the FAA. There's no issue with those. So, But we always want to make sure that there's not more that's going on um, that can be easily treated. So it's good to have a medical doctor on board. We are not prescribers if medication is required. Your medical, your, your, your family practice doctor can prescribe those basic 
um, psychiatric related medications that are usually for depression or anxiety. 80% of depression and anxiety is actually diagnosed in your family practice doctor's office, not with a psychiatrist. So we do not recommend pilots go to a psychiatrist, even if there's a bigger issue. Start with your GP. They're prepared to handle that. They know how to handle that. If they feel that there's more that's required, they will then refer the pilot to a specialist like a psychiatrist. Um, so, But we try to work with when there is a clinical issue of, of significance, we always try to include the, the, the GP in the conversation because they're going to be managing, helping them manage the medical aspect, which includes prescribing medication. So I come to you and I start talking to you about stuff and you go and you're reaching a conclusion that, hey, there's something here and you're probably going to need some sort of medication of some sort. And I go, well, I have my 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 personal doc is my AME. I don't want to bring him into this. Can you write the prescription? And what I'm hearing you say is no. At some point you would say, hey, you need to go get another doc. Or you're just going to have to suck it up and talk to your AME because you I can't exclude them completely. At some point, I've got to bring some medical physician into this picture. Look, yes, if you have to use your AME because there isn't another doctor on the planet where you are, which that's absurd. Um, but but like then fine, you you know your your health, your medical treatment is worth more than anything. Uh, it's worth more than anything. If you're not healthy, you got nothing. Um, and so, yes, you need to get the help, but, but you need to get another practitioner that is not the FAA, that is not your AME. And when, even when, when pilots go out on a medical, a de, let's say depression, and they're, they're on the SSRI program and they're doing that, they, we tell them, you do not even talk to your AME. You do not tell your AME until you are going to reapply for medical certification. And you've met all of the requirements, which we can cover at some point. We'll talk about what that you just, is. You just go calm silent. You absolutely. You go calm silent. You just don't reinstate your medical. That's how it works. I'm, ass- I'm assuming people have come to you and brought you issues. You go, I'd love to help you, but that, that that's outside of my scope. What would be some things where you're going, you know what, you're going to have to, uh, that's not what we deal with. We have to punt, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, First down and we're punting. <laughs> yeah. Substance abuse issues where, where inpatient rehab is required. We say, look, we can assess you. And, and you know, we have Tim Gate, uh, Gaither is one of our therapists. He's, you know, very experienced with HIMSS protocols. And he's actually creating an aftercare group at Lift Effect for for, for pilots in the HIMSS program, which is for pilots with, with alcohol and I'm drug I'm going to ask you, what issues. is HIMSS? HIMSS yeah. is, is pilot, it stands for Human Intervention Motivational Study, which is a the FAA's way of saying pilots with alcoholism. That's how shamed we are uh, in aviation. We can't even just say a substance abuse issue. It's Human Intervention Motivational Study. I mean, what does that tell you? That is pilots with alcohol and drug abuse issues. There is a program that the FAA runs in concurrence with the airlines that gives pilots a second chance at still being able to maintain their career. It's very strict. It's it's heavily monitored. But for pilots that have were, were kind of on their way out because of their issues, it's given them a second chance and it has saved people's lives. So it's a good program. Issues like like where where you know what somebody needs to go to re- rehab. 
that we would say, you know, we, we can't do, we don't have an intensive outpatient program. We don't obviously don't have an inpatient program. That is something that needs more specific care. If somebody has florid psychoses or schizophrenia, that is um, not something that we can, we are equipped to handle. We need psychiatry involved at that point. Let's see. How what about, are other issues? How Those about are marital, really the big ones. How about marital, marital issues? You issues. know, yeah, marital issues. Marital issues are going to, they're going to come up and we deal with them all the time. We typically don't do marriage counseling. Occasionally we might begin to do it to kind of get everybody in the conversation, but then we like to have that pilot find a therapist with their spouse, choose a therapist in their area where they can go and get the help. Marriage counseling isn't a reportable thing on your 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 uh, 8500 form. They don't care about family counseling. They don't care about marriage counseling. They care about individual counseling. So that is not something that we typically do. We Again, it, it's case-by-case case basis. Uh, we can do it, but usually we will maybe get you started and then refer you out to a, uh, or, to a family therapist or a marriage therapist. I, I'm, and I'm reading between the lines a little bit, but I, what I think you were saying, what I thought I heard you say is, that marriage counseling is not the primary, a primary reason to be working with them because there are other people that specialize in that. But it could be an underlying one of the underlying um, pinnings of one of several things that is causing the the, the stress points to um, manifest themselves. Totally. So it could be financial, it could be work related, it could be family family or marital related, but it when it becomes that's the only thing or that's the primary, then there are specialists, like you say, that's that specialize right. it, in that. It, it, we certainly have clients that we treat individually that are also concurrently in marriage counseling with their spouse. And, and we, you know, that that's, that's part of their whole treatment. Um, but if it's just primarily marriage counseling, we don't really handle, we don't typically handle that uh, in-house here. When someone wants to go for something like this, whether it's with you or or something that's similar, whether it's avi- aviation related or not, because there are others that can handle people that are in high stress um, professions. Wh- how does it all go when I, you know, because again, for people that are in that, that they're, they're type A, they're very motivated. They're not very willing to acknowledge that they got a problem. Mm-hmm. How does that kind of go when they're calling you and they're going, Hey, um, I don't even know how to broach this with you or, you know, how does that all go? Because that's got to be a very uh, humbling or very awkward conversation to start with, because this is not a place that they ever expected themselves to be, or it's a sign of weakness, or they perceive it to be a sign of weakness. How do you get them through that to go, this isn't weakness, this is actually, you're calling out for, this is almost a sign of strength that you're willing to, to get better. How do you switch that feeling from a weakness and something to be ashamed of and not talk about to something that's going, Hey, you have to, you got to work through these things to keep it in. And I think there's a term I've heard you use in the past on processed grief that, that all those things can, they build up and all of a sudden it explodes. If you don't do that. I, I think just even acknowledging, Hey, I know this is hard and I know this might feel um, like there's just a lot of obstacles to reaching out, 
But the fact that somebody is calling, if the fact that somebody's calling me, they just took a tremendous first step. I mean, the ones that are so ashamed and so underground, they're, they're not calling, right? I mean, they're just not calling. I don't, I don't have the opportunity to even acknowledge that they've taken the first step. But the mere fact that they're talking to me, that they picked up the phone and they called, massive first step. And so they, they're already on the journey uh, toward recovery by just taking that first step. So they're already doing the work. They're already there. But being able to acknowledge, hey, I know that this, this might feel really stigmatized, um, that, that you're concerned that you might be seen as weak or unstable. And just acknowledging that, that that's, those concerns and those feelings are absolutely real. But the fact that they're here, you're kind of already taking the step. And if it's, you know what, you know, I, I don't know if I want to do this work now. I don't know if I should do it. It's, I mean, not to be kind of crass, but it's kind of like you have two options. You can either do the work that we know works. I mean, there's data that it helps. Um, you can either do the work or stay in the hell that you're in. Here would be a question for someone who who doesn't think there's a problem, tries to do that honest evaluation, that that self and like you say, I'm safe. Am I ready to go fly today? What would be some symptoms or some red flags that, hey, I'm in denial or I need to, there's something going on. What would be reasons that, that they should go, you know what, maybe I need to talk to somebody. One of the things that I tell people that call me, and occasionally we have people to call to say, you know, I mean, I just had one a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, I don't really think I need to do this. This is just my, my you know ex-girlfriend uh, thinks I need it. And one of my best friends thinks that I need help. And so that's why I'm calling. If you don't think that there's a problem, this isn't going to work because I can't want this more than you. And so if you don't believe one of the common factors of, of effective therapy, and I would say coaching or therapy is a rationale for treatment. If you don't feel that there's a reason to go, go and get the help, then this, is, this isn't going to work. You've got to want this at some level. Now, if everybody's telling you, geez, man, you know, something's wrong with you or you've changed or there is an issue here. If everybody's, if you're hearing it over and over and over, maybe they're right. Maybe there's something that you're not seeing. But I would say if you don't have motivation to do this, it's not going to work. Of um, since you started Lift Effect, of the people that show up and and like you say are there because they're they either have been somebody has kind of said hey you need to go see or they they've gone to seek you out. What's been your success ratio? Do you feel like every that you're able or that they're able because it's not you you're just kind of being the guide? Uh, yeah. I, I believe. Do you feel like you've been able uh, you know, or the good, people really are able to go question. through that? Oh, yeah. I mean, somebody asked me the other day, they said, does, does this work? I said, I wouldn't do this if it didn't work. <laughs> this, this would be insane to do if it didn't work. I do this and I've, I've given up a whole career of flying because this works. And so I would say my success rate is very high. I mean, people get better. 
they get better in their own pace. They get better in all sorts of different ways, but absolutely people get better. And if, if I am not the right person for somebody, I, I really try to help them move along to find somebody that is the right person. So the, of the people that I, that I work with and that we work with at Lift Effect, and what's kind of nice, it's very specific. We have protocols of, of doing this that, that absolutely work. And so the vast majority of people, they, they do get, they get better if they, they stick with it. And like I said, I can't want it more than you. If this is something that you want, we will be with you every single step of the way. But if it's not something that you want, it's not going to work. I have one last question for you. And that is since you started lift effect, I, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I would like to think that the stigma hidden in the dark corners, we don't talk about this, is slowly the curtains are coming back and there's more of an acknowledgement and a, and a willingness to acknowledge this. It's kind of like PTSD. It used mm-hmm. to, it was never, it was like, oh, you were just, you were a coward. And now people realize that's a real issue. And I, and, and I think already just in these two podcasts, you, the whole point is to let people know this is not something that's that that's uh, in the in the back corner anymore. This is a front and center. This is a an issue that people. It's real. It happens. It's a it's part of life, and we need to acknowledge it and learn how to 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 take advantage of tools. And Lift Effect is an awesome tool to take advantage of those tools to help us through those times. There are always times when things are a little bit unstable. So I guess my whole point is lift effect is a way for people to actually take care of a problem that 20 years ago, they didn't even know existed. And now it's becoming more of a mainstream thing. And this is, this podcast is an effort to get to those people that we would never ever have, or you would never have ever gotten to talk to ever before but in a healthy way versus, oh my God, I don't, I'm a, I don't even want to acknowledge that I have an issue. Well, you know, latest statistics, see, I mean, and COVID has really accelerated all this stuff. Um, but like latest statistics I was reading, and I don't remember if it was the World Health or CDC, but something like 82% of people will have a mental health issue at some point in their life. This is not like, you know, 2% or 3%. They used to think, you know, it was like, you know, 12%. No, it's so much higher. And people under the age of 25, it is astronomically higher for them. I mean, the Blue Cross Blue Shield did a study a couple of years ago, and they found that millennials have a mortality rate to die 10 years younger than Gen Xers. 10 years. And one of those big issues is because of mental health. Mental health is the num- the second leading most expensive problem globally from just in terms of medicine. So this is yeah, th- this is not about resiliency or um, a lack of grit. That that is not what what's happening here. It's a real issue and um, just trying to, you know, put your head in the sand about it. That that those days are over. And especially when it comes to pilots in mental health, you know, I used to, you know, I gave talks all over the world 
saying, you know, hey, pilots have have issues too, and it's a real thing. And I, I I don't even do those talks anymore because it's like that ship has sailed. We know that this is a problem, and and that I I, I don't have that conversation anymore. Now it's more, what are we doing about it? That's our perspective. That's absolutely my perspective on it. So yeah, it's it's here. It's not going anywhere. It's getting worse. And let's try to figure out how to deal with it. If you had to sum up today's podcast, what would be the one thing you would want people to take from today? From today, well, at least what I got out of it is the F- nobody's coming to take your medical, right? That's not That's not what's happening here. There's there's not this big invasive thing for you reaching out and saying, hey, is there a problem? Do I need to get help? No, nope. nobody's tattletaling on you. The FAA does have standards. I will tell you, it doesn't, it's not game over career end. Even if you have depression and you have to take medicine, there are protocols and there are there is a pathway back to the airplane if you want it. So, but but just by reaching out and having a conversation and getting some help, um, certainly at lift effect, we, we, we understand how to navigate that. If you go to another mental health professional, you know, it depends on whether they're familiar with pilots and the FAA. They probably aren't. Um, and sometimes there's risk to that. Sometimes there isn't. But it's better to reach out and have the conversation. The F, there's nobody's bugged your phone. They're, they don't, you know, there's not like the FAA man is listening in going, oh, okay, we got him. Let's go get him. Let's go grab him. <laughs> That's not how this works, right? And, and um, you know, get yourself call and and have the conversation and, and, and navigate it from there. There's resources to be able to navigate those conversations. So I hope that that's, we've provided a little bit of clarity about what does the FAA know? What do they not know? What is the diet? When do you get a diagnosis? What does it mean? What, how do you deal with the AME? You know, and second, the second takeaway is go get a doc, a regular family practice doc. Don't use your AME as your family physician. It's just, they're, they're trying to, they have to wear two hats and sometimes those hats are not going to mix very well. So it's better to keep those separate. That's, that's what I hope we, we communicated. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Thank you again for listening. If you have questions and please, we encourage them. They are the lifeblood because this is what we're here for is to make sure that we pull the curtain back If you have any questions, please submit them to podcast at lifteffect.com. And also, as I'm sure you hear on every other podcast, hit the like button, give us a review because it's very important. That's how it all goes so that we get more visibility because we want this to reach as many, many people as possible. So on behalf of Matt, this is Carl, and we say thank you and see you next time. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Lift Effect Podcast. If you want to dive deeper into this episode and every episode, go to our website, lifteffect.com forward slash podcast. If you're enjoying the show, we would love it if you'd follow us on Spotify and rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate your support. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, all with the ID Matthew McNeil. This show is brought to you by Lift Effect, 
a clinical mental health and consulting company that assists air carriers, corporate flight departments, pilot unions, and commercial pilots by providing comprehensive psychotherapy and mental skills coaching services to pilots with mental health and mental performance related issues. Visit lifteffect.com, that's L-I-F-T-A-F-F-E-C-T.com to book your free consultation. And finally, this podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of counseling, psychotherapy, medicine, or any other healthcare service, including the giving of medical advice. No therapeutic or provider-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and any materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional psychological advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining advice for any psychological or medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on the Lift Effect podcast.